Father, I do thank you for this opportunity to be together and this opportunity to be in your word. And I pray that you'd open our hearts, that we would be responsive and uh, that you would teach us so that we might become more like your son. Lord, I pray that you'd use your word to expose exactly where our hearts are before you and that we would see ourselves rightly so that uh, you can work in us, Lord God. We thank you for this time and we commit it to you now in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, what do you think of when you think of a relationship between people? I'm sure you recognize in some relationships there are, uh, there's obviously some knowledge of one another, and there's also communication. Now, just in a very basic sense, there are good relationships, and there are okay relationships, and there are bad relationships. Now, if you've come into a true relationship with Jesus Christ uh, through repentance and faith in the person of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you on the cross, uh, would you consider your relationship with Jesus a good relationship? Would you say it's an okay relationship, a bad relationship? How would you, uh, what, how would you consider your relationship with Jesus Christ? You see, in a good relationship with Jesus Christ, as his disciples, we should be, as Jesus said, bearing much fruit. In a good relationship with Jesus Christ, we should be, as his disciples, useful. Useful. We should be serving him, doing his bidding, uh, being useful and bearing fruit. Now, unfortunately, there are many who believe they have a good relationship with Jesus Christ, but that's simply their profession. There's no true relationship because they're still in their sins. The Lord Jesus would say to those, he will say on that day, those who have done many things in his name, depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. They were self-deceived. They thought they had a relationship with Jesus. Now for those of us who do have a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith in him, with that in mind, is our relationship useful and fruitful? How do we evaluate our relationship with Christ? Well, today we're going to see how we can know if we have a useful and fruitful relationship with the Lord Jesus. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Second uh, Peter? And we are in our study of Second Peter, and we are in just a tremendous portion of this book. And I'm just going to briefly, I've shared it more in depth each week, but I'm going to briefly speak of the context for this, be, this book. Uh, Peter is writing to uh, those who have a like faith, a same faith as he does, a, a true faith, a saving faith. And within that, the Apostle Peter has made it clear in this letter that he is reminding uh, those he is writing of the things that they already know, that they might be able to recall them to mind when he is gone. You see, the Apostle Peter, has been made, it's been made clear to him by the Lord that he's not going to be on this earth much longer. And so these are his last words, and they're very important words. And within this letter and this reminder, he shares the truths of a real relationship with Jesus Christ. What does that look like in contrast to those who are a threat to that real relationship? Those who distort or pervert the word or or, or twist things or subtly bring in things to the church, subtly try to deceive true believers. And so this letter is an encouragement, a reminder, and it's also a warning that we could fall from our steadfastness, but instead of that, being on the alert, we should grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This letter is a very important reminder. So with that in mind, do you want your relationship with Jesus to be useful and fruitful? Do you think you have a relationship with him? Maybe as you evaluate your life, you realize maybe it's not. Maybe it's not useful and fruitful as I think about it. Well, how can we have a useful and fruitful relationship with him? And and how can we know if it is that way that we're not self-deceived? Again, turn to first or second Peter chapter one, and we're going to be looking at verses five to seven. And I need to remind you that really this this portion from two to eleven and twelve is really, I mean it just keeps going, is one block. And so, you know, we've already gone through verses 2 and 4, and I'm going to review that today. But also what we're going to see after 8 through 11 is very important. It goes with what we're looking at today. And I I just couldn't fit it all in. So we're just going to look at verses 5 to 7, 5 to 7. And so with that in mind, let's read back and start at verse 2 and up through verse 12, even though we'll be looking at 5 to 7. 
Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted us to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And then our passage. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. And that's where we're going to stop today, but it connects to what I'm going to read now. We need to have that in mind. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, we're going to see all of them. If all of them are yours and all of them are increasing, uh, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his former purification from sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in, for in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. Tremendous passage. I wish we could go through the whole thing together, uh, but keep in mind the verses 9 and on, or 8 and on, really connect to what we're going to look at today in verses 5 through 7. But this passage is extremely important, as was what we saw last week. These are Peter's last words, and, and I want to share some, some reasons also why this particular passage today is so important for us to, to understand and to grasp rightly. First of all, we're going to see it points to the reality of spiritual growth. And it points to that in the context of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And indeed, we're going to gain, I believe, a right view of how God works out salvation in us, i.e. sanctification. And we need to understand that in the context of spiritual growth, what God has done and provided for is there is a responsibility for us, as we're going to see in that context. And thus, I believe if we understand it rightly, we're going to gain a balanced view concerning spiritual growth. Secondly, as we look at this from a biblical perspective, it may reveal to some of you that you've never grown in Christ. And that may be an evidence you have never trusted Christ. You see, as we're going to see, these qualities should have been yours at some time. Now, some people say, well, maybe they're backsliding. Well, if you've never gone anywhere, you can't slide back. So the reality is that some of you may realize, I've never trusted Christ as evidenced by what his word says. And that's a good thing, so that you might trust him and be saved and be changed. And third, we need to understand, and understanding what true spiritual growth looks like is an extremely helpful blessing And it is an assurance of salvation. It's an assurance that God has really changed you. That he is manifesting the character of his son in your life. A tremendous encouragement. And lastly, and very important, uh, because Peter is writing at a time where there are false teachers who were preying on these believers. believers. Read chapter 2. It's very significant promising them freedom from fleshly desires, but yet uh, putting them into the corruption that ensues from yielding to your own desires. These false teachers perverted and twist the word, and they exhibit in their character the opposite of what Peter talks about here. So you can spot real ones and phonies through what we see here in our passage today. Okay, with that in mind, how can we know if we have a useful and fruitful relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, first of all, we need to review what we saw last week, and I want to briefly go through verses 2 to 4. You might remember that Peter is writing to those, verse 1, of those who have a same or like faith, the same faith that he has. You see, if you have truly been saved, we all have the same faith. 
We have been convicted of our sin. We have trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we have been redeemed. We have been saved. We've been uh, forgiven of our sins. And within that, he then shares a greeting. And that's what this portion is basically based on. Verses 2 to 4 are basically that greeting and then a doxology, in a sense, to the Lord. And from that stems the tremendous portion we have here today. So remember, he gives forth this statement in verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our of Jesus our Lord. That's God's desire. That God's grace and thus peace would be multiplied in our lives in the context of a real relationship with Jesus. A lot of people say they know Jesus, but they don't have a relationship with him because sin is still in the way. But God's desire for true believers, not make-believers, not fakers, but true believers is grace to you and peace. Be multiplied where? In the context of the sphere of our relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, God wants us to grow in the grace that is in Jesus Christ, to be more dependent on him, to trust in him more and more, to function by his grace which is sufficient for all things, to recognize his power is perfected in weakness. God wants that for us because we are by our old nature independent and self-sufficient and God wants us to rely on him and trust in him and that's where we have genuine peace. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And then from that, we have this tremendous statement, which we looked at last week. It it is a life-changing statement. It's a Christian life-changing statement. Verse 3, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Tremendous, wonderful statement seeing that his divine power, God, who is, all, who is all-powerful, has granted, it's not the word forgive, it means to lavishly give. He has granted to us, what does he say? Everything, and now the us are believers, everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything you need for this life, everything you need for your relationship with God, that reverence and walk with Him, life and goddess, it is all provided for us. It has already been provided for us. And you might remember the context in which it's been provided. It's not some mechanical system of following Bible verses. It's not some mechanical system of doing this or that. It's through, look at the end of verse Three, through the true knowledge, genuine, full knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. It is in the context of a real relationship with Jesus Christ that we have everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. Everything we need. Everything we need. It is all there. And then we have this tremendous explanation that we looked at last week. And if you think you're going through it really fast right now, yeah, I am. Last week, we spent the whole time on it, so feel free to grab that CD. It's really, really, really important. But notice in verse 4, he says, For by these, now that is his glorious and praiseworthy character, he has granted to us, same word, this, this lavish giving, this lavish giving, granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, in order that by them you, may, you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the, the, the corruption that is in the world by lust. You see, true believers have escaped the, the, the corruption and ruin that comes from our own desire, our lust, and thus sin. We've escaped that through the forgiveness of sins. But we have the opportunity now within a relationship with Jesus Christ by his precious and magnificent promises to partake of his nature, to become like him. It's not that we become God. There's only one God. But we manifest his character, his character, his nature, uh, his goodness, his kindness, his holiness, his love, all those things. We can partake of that. And he says it is through the precious and magnificent promises. Precious speaks of tremendous value. It's the same word Peter used to speak of the precious blood of Christ that was spilt for us in his first letter to these people. Magnificent, it comes from the t- word in the Greek says great. It means the greatest, 
the greatest of promises. And Peter uses the word promises here, and I think he uses it obviously for a specific reason. When you think of a promise, a promise is something that someone says that, that they are to keep. Well, God is going to keep his word. He is faithful to his promises. They are precious and magnificent. The word of God. So in the Christian life, we have everything we need through a right relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, we have his spirit, right? We have right relationship with him through the word of God. Everything we need for life and godliness. Now the world and the, con- and the contemporary Christian world wants to say, oh, you need this, you need this, you need this. And we are deceived and suddenly pulled away from the sufficiency of Jesus Christ for every circumstance and every situation in our lives through his word. So with that in mind, we have a tremendous, tremendous statement that this has already been granted to us. It's a done deal. You see, this is Peter's last letter, and he points to, as we'll see later on in chapter 1, the sufficiency of Scripture, written word. It's sufficient. In Paul's last letter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, the sufficiency of the word, all scriptures inspired by God is profitable for teaching, for, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate for every good work. By the end of the time of the apostles, the foundation had been laid in the church. They had brought forth the word of God, and they were saying now it's the scripture, the written word, which is sufficient. And by the way, throughout Second Peter, Peter is contrasting remembering what we already know through the word of God versus the bad guys who twist and pervert it. So with that in mind, we have received everything we need for life and Godness through a true relationship with Jesus Christ via the truth that he has revealed by his spirit. So now we have this tremendous portion. You might say, well, what else could he say? We got everything we need. We got everything we need. That, that we're, we're done, right? <laughs> well, it's true. We have everything we need. But there is a responsibility that we're going to see that God places upon us in the context of a dependent relationship. You see, spiritual growth doesn't come by osmosis. It doesn't come simply by reading your Bible and sitting in your room. There are things that God brings forth in us and calls upon us to do as we're going to see. And you go, well, you know, I've shared over and over again, apart from Christ, we can do nothing, right? Over and over again. We're not adequate to consider anything that's coming from ourselves. But yet God, within a relationship which he's provided everything, calls upon us, as we will see, to obey. And it is a manifestation of the character of Christ. And it will show you if you are fruitful and useful for his kingdom. Okay, so with that in mind, I think we're going to see that God calls us to do something. That we are to obey the Lord in the context of understanding that he has fully supplied everything, but that is going to be worked out in the context of faith. And if it's not working out in the context of faith, you are not fruitful or useful. If all these things, not a few, but every single one, okay? Now there's different levels because he talks about increasing, okay? It's not saying perfectly now let's read through our passage again go back to verse 2 and right up through our passage okay verse 2 grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of god and of jesus our lord seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. We were called into relationship by his glorious, praiseworthy character. And that same character is what brought about, notice, for by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises, in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine issue. You don't grow, become more like Christ, apart from his word. That's just reality, right? Okay? And then he says here, Uh, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And then our passage. Now, for this very reason also, it's connected. Applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. In your brotherly kindness, love. Now, we're going to see in this list of things that they are connected to one another, that they build upon one another. It's written in a specific order for a specific reason. And they build on one another. And they are qualities, as we'll see in a moment, that as a whole, we should have as believers. 
and we should be increasing in them. And if we don't have them, something's wrong. We may have forgotten our former purification from sins. We've, we've, we've left the core of our relationship with Jesus, okay? But we're going to see that possibly it's an evidence that you're not going to enter his kingdom, that you really don't know him, if it's not a quality that's qualities that you have. So with that in mind, let's look at it. So first of all, I want to make some initial observations about the structure of this passage. That should be helpful. He says in verse 5, Now for this very reason also, or literally, and in the same also, it's connected to what he just said. We've been given everything for life and godliness. We, we've escaped the corruption of the world by lust. We, we, are, we, are to, we can partake of his nature through the word of God in our relationship with Jesus Christ. In the context of that, for true believers, he says, now for this very reason also, and for the same also. And then we have verses uh, 5 and through 11, okay? It's so important that we recognize in this passage that he is not saying, go out and do this stuff. He's not saying, okay, go do this, then do this. I got a list. Okay, I got to do the next thing. I got to do the next thing. He talks about uh, actually doing them as we'll see, but in the context of God providing everything through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the context. We can't miss that, okay? So the context is God supplying everything. Now, secondly, I want to point out the main verb in this, in this statement, okay? If you look in your Bibles, uh, it says supply, supply in most versions. There's someone will, some versions will say add to. Uh, that's the main verb. Um, add to, you know, so you have the statement here. You have the statement, uh, um, now for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence the word supply that's the main verb that is the imperative command god is commanding us believers to do these things god is actually saying do these things and then along with this there's a connected now i was horrible in english so it's amazing i can even do this god is very gracious but there is a connected participle okay and that is a, a verb basically that 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 connects to this 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 other verb as we are supplying, we are to be applying, as we'll see, or giving or making, as you'll see, every effort or all diligence. Supply these things while making every effort by, by applying all diligence. That's the context. So as I supply, it's in the context of applying all diligence. We'll see that. And also... The third portion that is extremely important, which some interpreters, I think, have made mistakes here, when it says, in your faith, supply, well, some people take the faith as the first one. Supply, faith, then they go down the list. No, if you read it in its original language, in your faith talks about how things are supplied. It covers every single one, every single one. This list is in the context of faith faith in the person of jesus christ as his word is working in us and i believe we'll see that so you could translate it this way applying all diligence in the context of faith supply one two three four five six seven okay that's really the context so you want to keep that in mind otherwise you might get distracted and try to do stuff apart from abiding and trusting in jesus christ okay but we'll see where to diligently do that in the context of faith Okay, so as we look at our passage, notice we are commanded, commanded. If you're a believer, God commands us to do stuff. And if you love him, you go, okay, praise the Lord. If you're, if you're you know, hostile, rebellious, and you're, I don't want to do it, right? But he commands us. He commands us. Now for this very reason, verse 5, also, applying all diligence, remember it's connected, in your faith, connected. Here's our main verb, supply, and then he goes through a list of things. Moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, it's connected, knowledge. And in your knowledge, it's connected, self-control. And in your self-control, it's connected, perseverance. And in your perseverance, it's connected, godliness. And in your godliness, it's connected, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. This is the part that God calls us to do, as we're going to see. 
And it's done in the context of a real relationship with Jesus. It is the manifestation of a real relationship where you are trusting in him. And we're going to see if these qualities are yours and increasing, then you're neither unfruitful or not useful. You are fruitful and useful, okay? So with this in mind, notice first of all, now for this very reason in our passage, he says, applying all diligence in your faith, supply, supply. This is an interesting word because I think of supply. How do I supply something? Uh, Later on, we're going to see, he says, if you do these things. I can understand that. But why does he use this word supply? Supply. You need to ask those questions when you're studying the word of God. Uh, The term translated supply is a difficult term to understand. And I struggled with it greatly as I was just praying. Lord, what do you what do you mean? What are you intending here? What is your what is your what is your purpose? It comes from the Greek word epikorego, epi meaning upon, korego speaking of to supply or furnish. It came originally korego from, that's where we get our word choreograph, where in the old uh, plays, Greek plays, they would, the, the, the head guy would supply everything for them. And that's where we got this word. So it means supply, and then look the word upon, it means add to or add, add your supply in a sense. It's kind of a weird way to think of it. Supply upon. And some people will say adding to, there's some, some versions, okay? But we get the idea here as we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ in his promises, relying on him, we're going to do something. And it's, we're going to be doing all these things, not just a few of them, in some manner, at some level, at some level, that can increase or not be there, okay? At some level. We're to be doing something. You see, faith, true faith, actually works. True faith actually works. You see, as we trust the Lord, he produces in us the willingness and the desire to, by his power and strength, step out and obey his word. Step out and obey his word. So as we trust, we are to add something to that. It is the action that comes on our part as we are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't get me wrong, just as Jesus said Apart from him, we can do nothing, right? I, I, I recognize that. But in him, we can do what he calls us to do, right? True, genuine faith will produce, as we will see, obedience to the word of God by the one who is believing, okay? Thus, God's part and our part in the context of him providing everything. Don't get that wrong. But we're not robots. He actually brings about changes in our lives, He brings about obedience. You see, saving faith, true, genuine saving faith will work. You see, we're not saved by works. We're saved by faith. But when we're saved, we're changed, and it will work. It will will manifest. Turn to the book of James, chapter 2. James, chapter 2, right nearby. James is going to make the case that a lot of people say they have faith. But is the faith they are speaking of a genuine faith that actually saved them? A saving faith. That's the key here. That's the key. James chapter 2, verse 14. He says, What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? Is that saving faith? If I say, I believe in Jesus Christ, but there is no evidence in my life of obedience to the Lord, there is nothing working out in my life, do I really have saving faith? That's the argument he's saying. That's the argument. And he says here, if a brother or sister is without clothing or in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, now this is very Jewish. He's pointing to Jews within there that probably weren't saved, who someone is in need. They're, they're, they're in need of food and clothing. And this person who says they have faith says, go warm, be warmed and filled. You know, they're a very spiritual response, but yet they're not seeing the need. They don't have love. They don't have love. It's not working out. The brothers, sisters with need of clothing, without clothing or need of daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warm and filled, and yet you do not give what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. But someone may say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without works. I will show you my faith by my works. You believe God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? 
He's saying basically your type of faith isn't a saving faith and it's useless. Genuine faith works out. And he gives the illustration of Abraham then and also Rahab the harlot, okay? You see, when we believe in Jesus Christ, when we trust in him, he gives us his spirit. He enables us and gives us the desire to obey. And he has created works for us to walk into, to actually do in the context of a relationship. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest no one or that no one should boast. God saved you by his grace through faith. It's all him, nothing from you, right? Now, he, 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 he awakened our consciences to our sinfulness through the word of God. He, he pierced the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And he calls upon us to not harden our hearts, but to respond and repent, right? And by his grace, we responded to the gospel, right? Okay? But notice what he says in verse 10, after speaking of being saved. He says, for, he's explaining, we are his workmanship. The term could be translated poem. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them there's going to be a change in your life another passage that is extremely helpful turn to philippians chapter 2 it it initially seems to be a paradox a paradox a spiritual paradox But see, we need to be careful. We don't take one doctrine to the exclusion of other doctrines. We need to see it rightly in its context and understand it. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse verse 12. Philippians 2, verse 12. Now notice what he says. Paul says this to the Philippians. So then, my beloved, it's believers, just as you have always what? Obeyed. It's obedience. That's the issue. Obedience, okay? Not only in my presence, in my presence, but not much more in my absence. Here's the command. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Obey. That's working it out. Obeying the word of God. Learning to obey all that Jesus did and said. Learning to obey by his power and strength. And notice what he says. But guess what? It's God that's doing it in us. For it is God who is at work in you. Now he does it by his spirit and his word, by the way both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out your salvation because God is at work in you. Obey the Lord God because he's working through you. It's not on my own and my own separate wisdom or abilities. It's in the context of relying on Christ and in our passage, in your faith supply. In your faith supply. It's very important. So now with this in mind, notice we are to add or supply in the context of faith, we're to do something. We're to bring about something as we're going to see. But notice there's another qualifier here. Back in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5, another qualifier, which is very important. He says, Now for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply. Supply this stuff, all the list, the whole list. In your faith, he says, applying all diligence. The term applying is translated in some translations, make or giving. It speaks of bringing every effort to bear. Applying all diligence. Not a little diligence, but all diligence. This term translated diligence is an interesting word. It came from the word to mean haste or or speed. When Mary ran, she ran hastily. It came to mean speedily. And it came to speak of effort or zeal or eagerness to actually do something. Eagerness, effort, zeal, diligence. Diligence is the opposite of laziness or lagging behind. It is, as we see, you know, in Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul contrasts that very thing, diligence with lagging behind. I'll read this for you. Romans 12.1, not lagging behind in diligence, okay? And then in Hebrews chapter 6, turn there for a second, Hebrews chapter 6, we see this word being contrasted with being sluggish, sluggish. I'll tell you, there's a, not a lot of diligence in the Christian life these days. 
not a lot of diligence, as we will see, to supply these things in our walk in the context of faith, to actually step out in obedience to the word in these areas on a daily basis. Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. Great encouragement for true believers who are suffering, by the way, and hopefully for you too. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown towards his name. Those are actions in Christ, okay? He says, in having ministered and still ministering to the saints. It's real-time service of Christ, okay? Serving his body. And we desire that each of you show the same diligence. There's our word. So as to realize the first full assurance of hope until the end. That you may not be what? Sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Those who were diligent in their faith and they inherited what God had promised. You see, in our faith, we are to supply the list of things said here. All of them, it's all together as we're going to see. And we are to do that in the context of applying all diligence. Well, we live in a society where diligence seems to be a, an odd word. There's not many people who are diligent in what they do. We are called within all diligence to supply these things. And folks, we do not grow in our relationship with Christ by osmosis. We don't sit and just read the word and just grow, 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 grow. There is a, there's a manifestation of that as we're going to see. It is the word working in our hearts that produces his character in our actions. And if that's not happening, the word isn't interacting with your heart. That's not happening. Okay? Look at our passage again. We're going to see we are to make every effort to do some things, to add them to our lives. We are to apply all diligence in the, in the spending energy in the context of faith to accomplish these things. Look at our passage, verse 5. Now for this very reason, back in First Peter 1, 2 Peter 1. Now for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And then you could say in your moral excellence, supply knowledge. That is implied the entire time. It's a imperative command. And in your knowledge, supply self-control. And in your self-control, supply perseverance. In your perseverance, supply godness. In your godness, supply brotherly kindness. In your brotherly kindness, supply love. All of this in the context of faith, do it diligently. Diligently. Make every effort. Make every effort. You see, these are real-time qualities, which we'll look at in a moment, that are characteristics of a life that is yielded to Christ in obedience in the context of faith. They're real-time qualities. And if you're truly walking with Him, you are going to have these characteristics on some level. And they are to increase, because we're all not there yet, right? Now, look down at verse... Uh, verse 8. For if these qualities, what he just said, are yours, if you possess them, all of them, not quality 3 and quality 4, all the qualities, and he says, and are increasing, they render you neither useless or unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then you're not useless or unfruitful in your real relationship with Jesus. Okay? He's talking about the things he said that we are to furnish supply in the context of faith and all diligence. Okay? In the context that God supplies everything we need through relationship with Jesus, you see? See how it's kind of paradoxical, but it's the reality is we trust him. We step out in faith and we obey his word. We, we take action in Christ. We supply these things. Now notice, later on, he says, he uses the word practice. Look down at verse 9. For, for he who lacks these qualities, that means doesn't have them, uh, is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his form of purification from sins. That's that's the that's the the least of the worst possibilities. But then notice what he says. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling. Make certain you're really saved, by the way. Make certain you're really saved about his calling and choosing for you. For as long as you what practice these things. Now that's the word do. That's the word do. As long as you do these things, all of them, not a few of them, you will never stumble for in this way the entrance to the eternal kingdom of our lord and savior jesus christ will be abundantly supplied to you as long as you do these things our our passage speaks about practical obedience that is manifest in characteristics that are identifiable 
practical obedience that is manifest in characteristics that are identified. If these things are yours, you can identify it. You can identify it. So we can know, are we growing in the Lord? Do we know the Lord? Do we know the Lord? Have we forgotten truth concerning Jesus Christ on a practical basis? Is our relationship not what we think it is? Our passage speaks of supplying, adding to here. Add to these things. Work it out by faith. You see, the Apostle Paul understood this paradox. He stepped out in his own energy, but yet not his own energy. He obeyed in his flesh, but not by his flesh. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9. You know, I can say I trust the Lord all I want, but if I don't come and obey Him and preach like I'm supposed to and trust Him in the process, if I don't take step out in action in obedience to the Lord, right? A little example. 1 Corinthians 5, 15, excuse me, verse 9. Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles who am not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Worst thing you can do, persecute the church, by the way. He said he was the chief of sinners because he messed with the church, right? But God was gracious, right? He saved him in the midst of that. He said, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me did not prove vain or empty. But, what does he say? I labored. That's labor. That's expending energy, diligence. He's doing things even more than all of them, yet, notice this, not I, but the grace of God with me. It was Christ in me, enabling me to labor, to do what he had called me to do. But he says, I labored. I labored. What about Colossians chapter 1, verse 28? I'll read this for you. And we proclaim him, Paul says, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose, I labor, I, I striving, I gizomai, I agonize. And then he says, according to the power which works mightily within me, we've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. Christ, by his strength, through his spirit, in his word, by his word, enables us to obey. So we're to do. So we're to do. These should be a manifestation of characteristics of a true believer. All of them, by the way. All of them. If these are yours and increasing, as we're going to see. Now we're going to look at this in a minute. We're going to look at each one, but for time's sake, we're not going to be able to go into each one in depth today. Obviously, now you know why we only do two verses. But we'll review it a little bit next week. But we can get the understanding of it by just taking a peek at it. If we are growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus through the word, we're going to be obeying him and we're going to be supplying diligently these things to our everyday lives. They're going to be a part of who we are. They're going to be a part of who we are. And if they are yours and increasing, you are neither useless or unfruitful in your relationship with Jesus, which applies you can be useless and unfruitful, by the way. So with that in mind, let's take a look at these things. What are these things that are to be increasing? And note their order and interdependence. We're going to see seven things. And as I mentioned earlier, faith is not one of them. It's grammatically not one of them. It is, faith is grammatically in the context of all of them. All right? And also the context of God already providing everything we need for life and godliness. We've got to see that. It's not just simply saying, I'm going to go out and do this stuff. It's a manifestation of of the life of Christ in a true believer trusting him as he obeys the word of God in circumstances in his life. These characteristics will come out, as we're going to see. They're going to be added to, they're going to be supplied or furnished, or furnished. So notice what he says. He says, now for this very reason also, verse 5, chapter 1, verse 2 Peter all, supply, applying all diligence, uh, so make sure it's in the context of complete diligence, in your faith, now here we go, supply moral excellence. Very interesting that this is the first one. It raises a lot of questions. Why wouldn't knowledge be the first one? Why wouldn't knowledge be the first and then moral excellence? Doesn't make sense. I know the word enables us to be a certain way, right? Enables us to be like Christ. What's the reasoning for this? We need to understand what this term moral excellence means. It's the same Greek word translated excellence back in verse 3. Let's look at that. 
seeing his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory, and there's our word, excellence, which is translated moral excellence in our verse. For by these, those qualities, he has granted his precious and magnificent promises. The term moral excellence here is the Greek word arete. It speaks of that which is virtuous or excellent. It speaks of that which is worthy of praise. It's, in the, it's, in, it's paralleled in Philippians chapter 4 with the idea of whatever is worthy of praise. Set your mind on these things, Philippians 4.8, right? Uh, and, and whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise. And thus we saw last week that it's by God's glory and excellence, his tremendous character that is worthy of praise. We were saved, by the way. It's by his tremendous character that is worthy of praise that we received his word. And here we are to apply all moral excellence and supply it. You see, I believe as we abide in Christ in his precious and magnificent promises, it's that we might partake of the divine nature, right? We become like Christ. And the first thing he says here is as we trust in Christ, believing in him, we're actually to be obedient in the sphere of moral excellence. Moral excellence. We are to exhibit the character that emulates the moral excellencies of God that are praiseworthy. His holiness, his righteousness. You know, think about it. The first thing in in situations, we're not unholy, we're not unrighteous. We're to be manifesting the righteous character of Christ as believers. And the word of God enables us to do that by a real relationship with the one in whose character it is. In everyday life situations, we are to be diligently applying, making every effort to allow his righteous character by faith to manifest and permeate our lives. And how do you know about his righteous character? It's in the word of God, and we know it innately because we are in Christ when we abide in him. You know, it's interesting. When people come to faith and they're convicted of sin, they don't have to think, oh, should I go have an affair? They know what's wrong. Do you know what I'm saying? There's a sense in which God brings forth his character in your lives. And he illumines that through his word, by his spirit. We are to, as we trust in him every day, supply moral excellence. It should be part of our lives. It should be part of a true believer's life who is really, truly in a relationship with the one who is morally excellent. So let me give you an example. Ephesians chapter 4. Turn there for a second. Ephesians chapter 4. Example of how God's word directs us to the things that are morally excellent as our minds are renewed. Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 17. He says, therefore, I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. Also walk in the futility of their minds, the way they walk. They're not, their thinking is vain, being darkened in their understanding. They don't get it. They're blind, excluded from the life of God. They're not saved because of the ignorance they don't understand that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. They're hardened in their hearts. All heart, 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 heart thinking, right? And they become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity, greediness, with greediness that's not morally excellent things right those are not morally excellent things but notice what he says but you did not learn christ in this way this is not from christ that's the way you were before you were saved this is not what would be coming from a relationship with christ you didn't learn him this way if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as the truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, an immoral, not morally excellent life, right, based on wrong thinking, you lay aside the old stuff, you take it off, you trust the Lord, you say no to it because you can't in Christ, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Remember, it's his precious promises that we escape the world and we become more like him, right? He says here, he says or that in do the former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted according to the lust of deceit, and that you be, what? Renewed in the spirit of your mind. God's word working your mind. Everything you need for life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. And you put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in what? Righteousness and holiness of the truth. 
And then practically speaking, it's going to work out in your life. And he then goes on to give examples, real-time examples, laying aside falsehood. We shouldn't be involved in falsehood. Speak truth, right? Lay it aside. There should be a change. I should be morally excellent. I should be angry but not sin, not let the sun go down in my anger. All these things. I should, if I steal, steal no more. There should be moral excellence in my life if I'm trusting Christ. God's word is working that out in my life. First thing on the list, I should be changed. I should be changed. And I guess we all fail and we confess those sins. But these qualities are ours if we're believers. But if sin's in the way, we're going to see something has happened. Something's happened if, or something's happened if sin's in the way. So here we see these are real-time actions based on faith in a real relationship. And the first one is bring forth moral excellence. Let me ask you, is your life manifesting moral excellence? Things that are worthy of praise? Your speech, your actions, your attitudes? Is that there? Is that there? Or is it immoral? Is it immoral? Is it not excellent? Is it not praiseworthy? Well, notice there's a second one here, and it's connected. Back in Second Peter verse, chapter 1, verse 5. Now, for this very reason, applying all diligence. Be diligent to apply it. Be diligent to make the decision to allow God to have you respond rightly in holiness rather than wickedness, right? Be diligent, okay? Then he says, supply moral, in your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, the next one, knowledge. Gnosis. Knowledge. He's saying, in a, in a practical sense, provide knowledge in the context of your moral excellence. We should increase and grow in knowledge. And obviously, what is this knowledge in? It's in the Lord and his ways and his word, obviously, from his word. Be diligent. Make every effort to not only be morally excellent in Christ by his power. Don't forget that. Don't do it on your own. You're a Pharisee. In Christ. And within that, also apply or supply knowledge. We should be growing in our understanding of Christ. If you've been a Christian for 30 years and you don't know anything more about the Lord from his word than you did before you came to faith, you or when you came to faith, something is wrong. You should be increasing. These qualities are increasing in your life. You know more and more about your Savior. You're increasing in the knowledge of God through the word of God. That should be happening. If it isn't, you're not fruitful and you're not useful in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you know the same thing you knew before, it's not increasing, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Look at Proverbs chapter 2. You see, because there needs to be a desire. There needs to be a desire to increase in the knowledge of God. Proverbs chapter 2. And you're thinking he's only on number 2 and we've got 7 to go. I don't know, we should have brought a sack lunch, right? But no, we're going to get through them quick because we'll review them next time, okay? But I want to point out some things here. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. Solomon says to his son, My son, if you receive my sayings, and what? Treasure my commandments within you. There's got to be a desire to want to know what God has said, to see the value of his precious and magnificent promises. If you don't have that, then you're not going to grow in the knowledge of God. I'll tell you that right now. It's not going to happen. And that's your problem, at least in that area. Uh, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding, for if you, what, cry for discernment, you seek her diligently, right? Be diligent in this area, brothers and sisters. Lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for his hidden treasure, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and what? Discover the knowledge of God. There's got to be the right heart. And if you have the right heart, you should be growing in the knowledge of the Lord. It should be one element, moral excellence and knowledge. Well, what's the next one we see? Notice he says, and in your knowledge, verse 6, self-control. Self-control. We all go, uh-oh, right? <laughs> we all know that battle on a, on a consistent basis, right? Of our desires versus what God says. We know that, Right? Moral excellence, his character manifest in you in a daily, real-time basis. Knowledge, growing the knowledge of God through the word of God. And then here we see self-control. The term en or eg 
It's in Greek, it's say egg in a sense. Egg kratia. Kratia speaks of mastery. Mastery in. This word speaks of mastery. The ability to master, to control, in context, one's own desires and appetites. It speaks of controlling one's thoughts and thus emotions and desires. Holding every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It's self-control. Self-control. You see, the reality is, as we grow in the knowledge of God, walking rightly with Him, He enables us by faith, as we're diligent, to control the inner man or woman, our thinking. You see, what does Proverbs 25, 28 say? Like a city that is broken into without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. The Apostle Paul spoke of this concept in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. One who trusts the Lord, one who says... He's not adequate for anything, but yet we do things in the context of our inadequacy as we trust him. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? Everybody runs the race. Everyone participate is running, right? But only one receives the prize. Only one wins the race, right? Okay. Run in such a way that you may win. And we're going to see the idea of diligence, by the way. And everyone who competes in the games exercises what? Self-control in all things. Athletes use self-control with their body so that they can be better athletes, right? You understand that process, that concept. He says they do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, believers, something that is forever, imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and make it my slave. 1 Corinthians 9, 27. Make it my slave, lest possibly after I preach to others I should be myself disqualified. We know that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit of God, but it doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't just all of a sudden happen. There is the applying and supplying and acting in the context of faith. We are to supply something. We're to step out and actually be self-controlled. Not wait for God to control us, but allow his word by his spirit in the context of a relationship with Jesus to control our thoughts and thus our actions. To say no by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? We are to bring forth self-control. And that's in the context of moral excellence, knowledge that we're increasing in, diligent in faith, obviously. So let me ask you this. Are you increasing in your self-control? Are your thoughts and actions and emotions increasing? Or is your self-control of them increasing? Is it increasing in your life? Or do you, is your spirit just whatever you feel prompted to do, you just do? You have no control, you just do it. Well, that's the life of someone who doesn't know Christ, by the way. No power, but in Christ we have the power to say no and to trust in him. So notice the next one, and this list is a specific order, perseverance. And in your self-control, perseverance. Greek word hupomone, it means to remain under. It means persevering. And what is it that brings about to be able to remain under difficult situations as believers? By the way, when you trust in Christ, you obey him, you're going to suffer. Okay? You know, this life is not a life of getting everything. It's a life of sacrifice, yielding to Christ and his will. So many Christians don't want to give up anything as the Lord brings it in their life. But here, when you do the right thing, you're going to suffer. You know what? You may lose friends for doing the right thing. People may not appreciate you when you do the right thing in a righteous way in Christ. Whatever it might be, you may be persecuted for doing the right thing in Christ. And guess what? We should be remaining under, and it should be increasing. This should be a quality of one who has a real relationship with Jesus Christ. James chapter 1, I'll read it for you. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of what? Your faith. This is in the concept of faith. Produces what? Hupomone, endurance or perseverance. When God tests your faith through difficulties, it brings about perseverance. You see, in perseverance, we see is a very good example in the context of Hebrews chapter 12. When we look at the truth of God from an eternal perspective and apply it, we can persevere. Turn to Hebrews 12 for a second. I'm going to read it for time's sake as you're turning there. 
Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, that's all the testifiers in chapter 11 who testify that by faith they endured and they made it. And they all had eternal perspectives, by the way. He says, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and run the race with what? Endurance before us. And then we fix our eyes on Jesus, verse 2, the author and perfecter of the faith, who what? For the joy set before him, for the eternal realities, what? Endured. When I am growing in my relationship with Christ, I am looking at the eternal and not the temporal. And I should be increasing in that, right? What about the next one back in 2 Peter 1? And in your perseverance, godliness. We've seen that before. God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. The term, Greek term, speaks of uh, you, sabia, well, you, and then sabia, meaning reverence. It reflects an inner attitude of worship and reverence for God that is pleasing, and it manifests in our behavior. We should be increasing in a reverence for the Lord, in a reverence for Him. If I don't have that, something is wrong. I should be increasing in it. I should be growing. It should be a quality of mind, godliness. Yes, we fail. Yes, we sin. But we have a reverence for the Lord. We confess our sin. We're forgiven because he's faithful and just. You see, these are things we should be diligently pursuing, by the way. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, we are to discipline. Paul tells Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself. 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, he says, but flee these things, those, those old things he was, that are of the flesh, you man of God, and pursue what? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Pursue these things. Are you pursuing godliness? Are you diligently desiring to be more reverent of the Lord in your life on a daily basis? Are you diligently desiring that? Well, notice the second to the last one here. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. This is, speaks of brotherly love. It's love for the body of Christ. It's love for each other. You see, it is part of our new nature. We don't have it in our old nature, and it should be there. It should be there. If it's not there, something's wrong. But it should be increasing. First Thessalonians chapter 4. For now is for the love of the brethren, Paul writes. You have no need for anyone to write you. For you yourselves, he says, are taught by God to love one another. First Peter chapter 122, Peter in his first letter says that we've been saved, we've been born again unto a sincere love of the brethren. If you are not around the body of Christ, you're not increasing in love. I'll tell you that right now. You don't have a sincere love for the brethren. You have a sincere love for yourself and your own time and your own schedule. God changes us and gives us a love for one another. One another. It should be there and it should be increasing. And then, you know, we're, there's so many passages. I got so many I could share, but I'm not going to share it today. The last one, and in your brotherly kindness, love. It's agape love. Some people say, well, that must be love for the world because he's talked about love for your brother. I don't agree. I believe this agape love here is love for God. This final one which tops all of them. What did Jesus say in terms of the greatest commandment? He said in Matthew 22, 20, or 37, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. We see that true love in 1 John 5 is manifest in obedience to God's word. If I love him, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Are you increasing in that? Is that part of your character? You see, the reality is these characteristics are to be ours as believers. And if they are yours and are increasing, you're neither useless or unfruitful in your relationship with Jesus. If they're not increasing and or not yours, your relationship with Jesus is nothing right now. You're not useful. You're not fruitful. I'd call that a zero. Some of us need to examine our lives. And recognize, where am I at with the Lord? Today we've seen a passage that helps us do that. These are characteristics in the context of faith in the God who has supplied everything we need. That should be manifest in the life of a believer. And they should be increasing. Should be increasing.
Some of you may have prayed a prayer, said, said, I trust Jesus, whatever it is, and you have never had these qualities. It's probably because you're not saved. And God is so gracious. He loves you. He does not want you to go to your eternal damnation thinking you know Jesus. Would you humble yourself and acknowledge your sin and trust in Jesus Christ? Because when you do, he'll manifest these things in you. He'll do that. He does it all. Some of you believers realize, hey, I'm not increasing. I'm stagnant. And I would say there's sin in the way, and we're going to see that next week. There's sin in the way. I've forgotten the basic realities of my relationship with Jesus. And guess what? Through word forgetfulness, we see there's always sin. So with that in mind, we've seen today faith that works. Faith that works. Is your faith working? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. It is so wonderful and you are so kind. And I thank you that you've given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And I thank you for revealing these qualities that we should be supplying in our everyday lives, Lord God, by, in the context of faith and trust in you. That we should be applying all diligence as we trust you. Lord, I pray for those here who don't know you, as evidenced by the lack of these qualities all the time, that they'd be convicted of sin and turn and trust in your son Jesus for salvation and be forgiven of their sins. We pray for that. Pray for those here who have stagnant or are stagnant in their relationship with you as evidence that these are not increasing. They're maybe not even there right now. That you might expose sin, wickedness in their lives, things that are not right, that they might confess and be right with you and that these things would increase, that they would be useful and fruitful. Lord, I pray all of us would recognize the importance of what you have said here today and we would examine ourselves and praise you for who you are and what you've done in Christ. And it's in his name we pray.